talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis, and it's bowl prep week. Nathan is down in Dallas handling uh, the on-the-scene work, which meant on Tuesday, as you're getting this late in the afternoon, really late in the evening. We're going to be doing late in the evening. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, the pods will all be coming in the evening because we're going to be waiting until people say things before we do any level of potting. So, And then Friday, too, because obviously that's the game the post-game pod. So this week, don't be looking for pods in the morning, looking for them later in the evening as we as Nathan wraps up there and we get a chance to actually talk about what people said. And on Tuesday, they got to see about 15 minutes of practice, I believe, and then they also talked with defensive coordinator Jim Knowles and a select hand um, full of defensive players that included Denzel Burke, who I think replaced Cody Simon, Jack Sawyer, Ty Hamilton, Steel Chambers. But there is news that immediately comes out of the day, Nathan, we knew Marvin Harrison Jr. was going to be at the Cotton Bowl because he said as much. But now that you've actually gotten this chance to see Ohio State practice, even if it's a small window, is he actually doing anything that makes it seem like he's going to be playing on Friday? Well, is he doing anything? Yes, he was riding the exercise bike. That does not make <laughs> me think he's going to play Friday. And it's a little bit different than it was in 21. You know, they showed us, I think, video clips and stuff in 21 and, and photos of Chris Olave actually doing some things at practice, but Marvin Harrison Jr. was not involved. And we only saw like 25 minutes, which was actually a pretty good chunk. Uh, we saw like a an early, like kind of uh, just as they were getting started, and then they did stretching, and then we saw two periods. And for those two periods is where he was on the exercise bike. The rest of the time, he was just sort of um, standing around observing. So uh, this is pretty much what we expected, I think. I'm not sure why um why not to have just made it more formal i guess at some point but you know he's there supporting his team and i think because that's where he wanted to be you could tell how much how attached he was to this team and what it's accomplished and um what it um what it wants to be this year and the legacy it wants to leave but i think the whole time we thought that this was the outcome that we'd be surprised if he actually played in this game with just so much at stake for his future so did we get a look at any of the starting guys and especially the receivers who are going to be the starting three with Julian Fleming, obviously already in the portal. And it looks like Marvin Harrison jr. Is not going to play even if he hasn't come out and actually said those words yet. Did we get a look at who was starting alongside of Mecca Buka? There was no 11 on 11 today. I'm not going to go into okay. anybody potentially starting off of anything else we saw today. Okay. Anything else that we saw, like some other people that maybe it matter. Cade Stover was obviously dealing with some some injuries later in the season. Did we see him? What was Tommy Eichenberg doing? Just anybody that was maybe dealing with some things late in the year injury-wise where maybe we could go, say, hey, will they or won't they play for X amount of reasons? Anybody else that, that in terms of significance? So both Stover and Eichenberg were in uniform and, and did do drills. At the beginning, when we first walked in, they were sort of standing off by themselves. It made me wonder if that was sort of a, the, the pit that you will see in the spring where the injured guys go. I don't think that was the case necessarily because they did get in and mix around. And, and and as I was walking out of the stadium, Stover was like running a route and catching a pass in the end zone. Um, so, you know, they're in there doing things. Uh, whether that means they will actually play on Saturday, on Friday again, both of those cases – when you're already dealing with a late season injury, you have mm -hmm. to consider that if you re-aggravate that injury, it really screws up your timeline, your pre-draft timeline. 
like when you're going to be able to get back on the field and and go through workouts for teams. You don't want to mess that up, basically. Like if you if you have a setback there, it's like your one chance to go do workouts, go to the combine and all those things. So I think that's a factor in both of those guys. You know, Jim Knowles, when we talked to him later, said he doesn't anticipate any opt-outs. But then when I asked if Eichenberg is going to play, he said that was up in the air. That was his quote, mm-hmm. which I took to mean the the injury status, like whether it's safe enough for him to play or whether it's healed enough for him to play. Obviously, he it was good enough for him to play against Michigan and be, you know, um, I think he had seven tackles in that game. He played the, the whole game from what we could see. But just again, with with these guys moving on to the next stage of their careers and not a championship to in the balance here beyond the cotton bowl championship. Um, the prudent decision for most of these guys would be to, to shut down and not expose themselves to something that derails their pro career at this point. So Andrew, when you hear that and probably read it too, in a text six, one, four, three, five, Oh, three, three, one, five, because Nathan was texting all that information first. It was, it was helpful. As someone who was not there, it was very helpful to, to get those texts immediate to your phone. You didn't have to go surge through social media to find out what was happening. It was coming straight to your phone. It's a two-week free trial. Then three ninety nine after that, 614-350-3315. Both the Harrison piece of it, but then also the reality of what Nathan is talking about with Tommy Eichenberg, with Kate Stover's guys, where at least with Tommy Eichenberg, Jim Knowles said it's up in the air. Who are some guys that people should be watching at those positions, wide receiver, linebacker, and tight end, who may be stepping into bigger roles on Friday to potentially – depending on what Tommy Eichenberg and Kate Stover d- d- decide to do and what we can probably assume Marvin Harrison has already decided to do as well. Yeah, the, the Marv thing, I think you could kind of tell. You know, you, you we could all kind of use our context clues here and use some of our common sense maybe that to say, all right, Marv's probably not going to play in this game. Um, so you you were always kind of preparing for, for Marvin not to play in this game. Um, especially, you know, even when you lose Julian Fleming, I mean, we talked about this on the recruiting pod. Ohio State lost a top fifty player on the like on on signing day at receiver, and we didn't really even bat an eye. We were just kind of like, "Oh, that's interesting," and then we just kind of moved along because they recruited that position so well. So there's a there's a ton of guys there um, that you could always kind of look to at receiver and not really fear a drop off. Um, you know, Carnell Tate, I know is is a guy that everybody wants to look for, but linebacker and tight ends a little more complicated. Um, Cody Simon, him coming back is a big deal, I think, just because not even of just who he is as a player, because that's obviously going to help, but more of, hey, look, you have a veteran now in this defense that, hey, he can put guys in the right spot. He's been here a little bit. You don't know what's going to happen with some of these other guys and their NFL draft decisions. Having that kind of veteran presence on the field, I think, is a big deal. Um, Then you talk to C.J. Hicks. Gabe Powers, Arvell Reese, like there's a lot of guys here that can kind of fill this role. And, and I think that that's going to be an interesting kind of storyline to monitor on, on Friday when, when Ohio state plays Missouri, just because you want to see the future, right? Like you want to see what these guys do. Um, And then you get to tight end, tight end. There's, it's kind of a a mixed bag, kind of a grab bag here. I personally want to see Jelani Thurman a lot. Like I want to see what Jelani Thurman can do. You know, he's had a couple of weeks where, you know, the season settles down. People always talk about this after your freshman year. Hey, you can kind of catch your breath. You can go through some practices. You can kind of get some more reps. The reps aren't as hand- handed out as easily to the ones anymore. It's a little bit more um, little bit more equitable. I-, I think 
I'm curious to see what happens with Jelani and, and kind of how he plays against an SEC defense. So that's somebody that I'm just I'm endlessly fascinated by because you you look at him and see like this guy can be a true game breaking tight end. So there, there's a lot of options. I think at receiver you're fine and you're not really worried about, but at linebacker and and tight end it's more of a Let's see what we got next year because we might not know what we have next year right now. So, Nathan, a couple other questions just off of practice stuff. For starters, obviously Ohio State put a picture out that was proof that Travion Henderson was practicing. Who are the running backs alongside of him and Dallin Hayden right yeah, now? Yeah, Trevion first through the line, Dallin Hayden, and then T.C. Caffey was the other guy. Oh. A walk-on was the other guy working with the running backs now. If they needed a third running back, the, 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 the third guy in the backfield mix will be Xavier Johnson, um, mm-hmm. we expect. I don't know how much T.C. Caffey will actually see the field, how much they it, it, they want him to see the field. I think he will um, be available if needed, but that's you know they've got three other guys that they would go through to get to that point. But the Trevian Henderson thing, I mean, it definitely seems like he is, by all accounts, seems to be preparing to play in this game. And... We are scheduled to get Dallin Hayden for interviews on Wednesday as part of the offensive interviews. We'll see if that holds because Ohio State had held the reserve the right to to swap guys in, such as they did with Burke swapping in for Cody Simon um, here in the past uh, 48 hours or whatever. They decided to make that change. So that that could change, and we could get Trevion Henderson, but maybe not because Trevion doesn't usually um, love doing interviews as it is. But um, it seems to be saying a lot that he is practicing and in such a, a prominent place for this game. And it's a position where if he were opting out, it would leave them really thin. Now you were looking at just Dallin Hayden and TC Caffey and then whatever you get out of Xavier Johnson as a running back. And they have enough receivers that they can spare Xavier Johnson to the backfield, but it's it really does seem to be trending towards Henderson playing in this game and and anybody who it's trending towards them playing in this game my assumption is they're probably coming back but um, they'll have to prove or disprove that with their eventual declarations were JT Tuimaloao and Mike Hall amongst the people participating yes both in uniform when I first walked in JT didn't have a helmet on I'm like whoa what's up with that but that was Mm -hmm. still that was not they weren't actually even doing a drill yet it was then they did their stretching and then like the actual first practice period started and everybody was in full pads. Really, everybody who we have questions about whether they will be playing or not was playing, except for Marvin Harrison Jr., except for people, and other, anybody like Lathan Ransom, who we know is hurt. Like everybody else was on the field in pads doing something. So that could either be a, a smokescreen for Ohio State. It could be just those guys wanting to stay active and be with the team, even if they ultimately decide not to play. But like the first time, the you know, as soon as they went to an actual defensive line drill, JT Tumaloao was like with the first group right up front. I mean, that tells me that they wouldn't be wasting reps getting ready for this game and getting ready for next fall just to just to make it look like he's playing. I, I don't see any reason to do that. So across the board, and again, like I said, Jim Knowles said he doesn't anticipate any opt-outs. So, and in speaking with optimism about the number of guys who will return next year, I don't know if that means everybody, but the number of guys who are eligible to go to the draft who will decide to come back. And that makes this a really interesting game for Ohio State, I think, because as much as you would like to see um, the, the future, the idea that they're keeping this group together 
obviously increases their chances of winning this game, but it, it makes this game become sort of a bridge, an important bridge between a team that turned a corner this past year defensively and really established itself as one of the best in the country and then what it wants to be next year. And there's going to be some guys leaving. They're still going to have to fill some holes, linebacker predominantly, obviously, and then some in the secondary potentially. But to bring back like the bulk of this defense and take another shot at like sort of reestablishing and like being able to kind of now build some positive momentum, real positive momentum on defense, which is something they haven't done in a while. I would even say like even that 2018-2019 transition was not really defensive momentum. The 2018 team was just so bad and then had a really stark turnaround to be as good as they were in 2019. This would be a chance to go from what they were last year under Knowles' first year in 22 was like solid and had like made some strides and were, were kind of raising the floor a little bit to then this year statistically across the board ranking among the best in the country and then being able to go out and maybe repeat that next year I think is just important positive momentum for this program so that's newsy stuff Denzel Burke had some interesting things to say as well and also Jim Knowles talked for like 30 minutes I saw which I mean kudos to that I don't know how often you get the defensive coordinator for 30 minutes but that's pretty good too we'll we'll take a break real quick and then we'll get come back and we'll get into those two guys because I thought some of the stuff you texted out about Denzel Burke Nathan was pretty interesting as well as, I mean, the defensive coordinator talked and that's today's defense. And we have to talk about that as well. So we'll get into that more when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. Get the text 614-350-3315. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis. Nathan is down in Dallas as Ohio State prepares to play Missouri in the Cotton Bowl on Friday. And while he was down there, he was standing at Denzel Burke, who was talking about preparation for this game. And Denzel had some interesting things to say about his future, about his goals in life, and about Carnell Tate. And I thought all of it was interesting. Let's start with, he actually has a decision date, right, on when we should expect for him to announce what he is planning to do going forward, correct? Not only has a decision date, he has made his decision. He's just not going to release it until mm. January 10th, according to what he said. So, um, uh, yeah, January 10th, you can mark that down. I guess what day of the week would that be? Like a Wednesday? It might be a Wednesday. I think they have until the 15th to make NFL draft yeah. declarations. Yeah, it's so the 15th. He'd be given, yeah, he'd have some some time to spare on that. That may be further evidence as to what the decision is. But we, we, we at that point, tried to come at him from obviously every angle to see what exactly he's thinking. And, you know, he said a lot of things along the way that hinted, I think, at what where he's leaning right now because – He said at one point that he wants to be a top 10 pick. Like, that's a goal of his. He is not a top 10 pick right now. I don't think anybody looks at the NFL draft right now and says Denzel Burke's a top 10 pick. There are, I think a lot of the mocks right now actually still don't have a lot of value. But there are some mocks out there that still have him listed as like a late first round, early second round guy. Um, But someone brought that up and he's like, yeah, that's a huge money difference. And uh, (laughs) beyond just being not in the top 10, he, he... there is that money difference. That's a reason to maybe come back and take another shot now that you can supplement yourself with the name, image, and likeness income for the, the course of a year. Beyond that, too, he's another guy where you definitely get a sense of unfinished business. And if you're not, if, if, if you're, I mean, Marvin Harrison Jr., I believe, is going to leave here with unfinished business because. 
the guarantee for him is so absolute. Like he he he's just going to have to do it. He's going to have to carry some unfinished business with him and and go off and be an NFL uh, star potentially and just live with that. For other guys, the 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 financial return is not so assured that it isn't worth uh that it makes the more compelling argument to start listening to these emotional pulls, I think. And he talked about and Burke talked about you know, someday I want to be able to show my kids and my family that when I was at Ohio State, I, I accomplished something and I won something. And I, there's just a lot of guys on this team that I think feel that if if it's a precarious NFL draft future, that the potential reward of coming back, because then another thing that he said was, you know, was asked, you know, if everybody comes back or almost everybody comes back, which again, seems to be the way things are trending. Um, you know, what, what's that going to look like? And his quote was, we're going to be the number one defense coming into next year. It's going to be scary. And was asked, well, is that a factor in the decision you're making? And he was like, yeah, that's also a factor here. And there were many times where it seemed like he was maybe on the verge of just coming right out and saying, I'm coming back, but then he was like, "Just wait, I'll I'll, I'll tell you on on January 10th." So he's sticking to his guns on his, you know, his announcement date. And uh, other guys, I heard Jack Sawyer say he may just announce something right after the game. And we were like, "Well, the, the locker rooms aren't open." He's like, "All right, well, I'll come out and tell you." So we'll see if that happens. But um, every each of these guys, it's it's an individual decision. But I think there are some common. Uh, threads that are pulling these guys to emotional threads that are potentially pulling these guys back. And it's, I don't think if they were guaranteed of being first round picks that the emotional ties would be enough. I think at that point you would have to say, ah, I don't know. It's, it sucks, but you got to go. And, but if you're not guaranteed of that, if you might fall into like the middle second round, even then it's the math starts to become less, um, absolute. And I think it leaves you open to being able to say, you know what, I can come back another year. I can accomplish more. I can prove myself more. I can become a, a higher, a better draft pick. They saw Chris Olave come back and do it. And I think that across the board, you probably are looking at a lot of guys who can look at that example at their own position and think that's something that's attainable for them too. There is something about this class that does seem to be, and I, I think NIL is probably helping this too, because if the money's pretty equivocal in terms of where you might get drafted versus what you can make at Ohio State, that might help in a way that if this were 2016, maybe it doesn't for some of these guys. But Andrew, when you are reading and listening to some of the stuff that Denzel Burke is saying, and from what Nathan is, is texting and saying, it's like he's trying his best to not give whatever his decision is, whether it be stay or go. Does that sound like somebody who's headed out the door? Or does that sound like someone who has already made a decision that they're coming back? In your mind, to you. So that that's the thing. You know, you you read that he I, – I, frankly, I have no idea. Um, and, and I don't want to pick a side because I have no idea. I um, You know, one of the things that's interesting to me is that you know, when he said, oh, my decision, you know, January 10th, mark your calendars. You hear that and you're thinking, OK. He he also said Nathan texted this out. Um, so you would have known this already if you got the text that Missouri is most definitely the best receiver group that Ohio State will have faced this year. I think that we, we've kind of talked about that before that. Hey, look, this is a prove it game for some of these guys, right? Like this is a game where, you know, Denzel Burke can look at this and say, hey, 
I can shut down Luther Burden and I can elevate myself. Maybe not first round pick, but I can I can prove to NFL teams that I'm worth something, that I can be a high level pick. And then he tells you that he's already made his decision and he's just not going to announce it. And you start to think like, oh well, wonder what wonder what that means. So I I don't know. Um, I I think it's interesting um, because there are. You, these NFL teams, they look at so much. They look at recruiting profiles. Uh, you know, they look all the way back to when these guys were juniors in high school to try and figure out if they're the right selection to make. And you can just kind of go down the line of, you know, this guy did this when he was a freshman and this when he was a sophomore and this when he was a junior. And one game is not going to change that drastically, right? You know, one game is not going to change a lot. But I do think it would help if you have a really nice game. So I, I don't know. I, I, I read that, you know, because obviously, you know, Stephen and I are not in, in Dallas like Nathan is. But I read that and purely from reading it, I would lean coming back. But truthfully, I have no idea. I think a lot of these guys I have no idea about because Nathan brought up an interesting point earlier when he said the more the closer we get to this game, the more guys you have in the lineup the more I think that the guys who are going to play are coming back. And I don't know if that's necessarily the case, but I don't think it's without merit, right? That if you were definitely going to the NFL, that you were definitely making your decision to just to leave Ohio State, which, you know, nothing wrong with that. Make your decision. Go to the NFL, live your dream. But you would think that some of these guys, if they had already made up that decision that they were gone, would have said, all right, I'm done. All right, I'm not going to play in this bowl game. So, I don't know. This is this is a unique class, and this is a unique group of guys. Where I look at them, and and each one of them, I think, in a unique kind of way, has a lot of good reasons to stay, but a lot of them also have a lot of good, really reasons to go. Like th- there's there's pros and cons to all of this, and and there's there's just a lot going on, and and I think it depends on you know what matters to each individual guy, and it sounds like, and you've heard a lot of them say it the Michigan losses really suck for these guys and it really hurts them. And it really hurts them that they haven't really, this sounds unfair, but accomplished a ton as a group at Ohio state. And I think that that matters too. So we'll have to see. I I am truly kind of befuddled. I I don't have a lean either way. So Nathan, obviously this will probably be a theme over the next two pods because you're going to talk with the offensive guys on Wednesday, but it seems like every time we talk to somebody about Carnell Tate, they're talking about him in the way that maybe we need to be on alert for the Carnell Tate breakout game. In the case of Denzel yeah. Burke, like he was very effusive in the way that he was talking about Tate today and just how um, and even, even more so than like, you know, somebody bought a Brandon Ennis. He's like, yeah, you know, Brandon Ennis is good. He's like still figuring some things out. But like Carnell Tate is mm-hmm. you guys aren't even like, you know, he he's he's all in on on Carnell Tate and um, that he that it's been pretty obvious since he got here how good he's going to be and that by the end of next year, it's going to be uh, it may be something pretty special. So. That's that's the opinion of the guy who has had to guard him probably a few times over the course of the year. So I think that carries some some weight and, you know, getting some just some of those same vibes from from around the team that I think that there are some some players. You know, we we saw this exact scenario, not the exact scenario, because it was different circumstances on, on one side. But in 21, when Olave and Wilson don't play. Even though, you know, Olave kept practicing, but, you know, it, it opened the door for guys who they already knew were talented 
to just have to be on the field and get that run. And now with Harrison pretty clearly not playing and Fleming in the transfer portal, then you've got two of your top three or four targets. I guess probably top four because Silver I think was ahead of, of Fleming in terms of targets. But you know, two of your top four, and um, it's somebody's got to take those spots. And on top of that, it, it could be an interesting dynamic. The fact that you know Devin Brown worked so much with the twos. And mm-hmm. um, now that's the guys he's going to maybe be throwing to more in this game. You know, Ibuka will be in there, obviously, but your X and your Z are uh, are are new guys. So, and it could be guys that he has some familiarity with, and guys that he has been you know learning their tendencies and nuances and and them to him as well. Like the first touchdown catch of the year, I think, for both Tate and Ennis was from yep. Brown late in games. So yep. there's already some connection there and we could get to see more of it on Saturday. We got to see, sorry, Friday, man, I got to get used to that. Um, <laughs> we, <laughs> I'm just used to saying Saturday for every game that we cover. Um, yeah. We well, did get it's to also see, that time of year when days don't really matter. So it's fine. Very true. I, I have to keep looking up here at the corner. Like it's Tuesday, right? Yeah. Tuesday. Um, we did get to see Brown and Keenholz and Jebbia, but mostly Brown and Keenholz is who we were paying attention to um, mm-hmm. throw for like one period of practice today. And Brown was still wearing the, had the ankle wrapped from when he was hurt late this season, uh, but mm-hmm. uh, looked to be moving around. Okay. Planting well, uh, getting throws off. Um, and, you know, he's only thrown against air, throwing, throwing two receivers against air. They weren't, again, doing any 11-on-11 stuff while we were in there. Um, from everything everyone has said so far, it seems like this has been kind of a back-to-fundamentals week this week, um, or this whole, really this whole draft, pro- this whole, um, sorry, bowl process. So I don't know how much they're even like going um, good against good 11-on-11. I'm sure they're doing some of that. But again, just what we saw today, I thought, you know, good form for Brown that we haven't really... I haven't had a look at him as a passer much since the first quarter of the season. Um, obviously, they put him in that goal line package mm-hmm. after that, and he did throw out of that at least once, but um, it was not where where we got to see him really work. And that's still the most intriguing thing for this team is what does that look like on Friday night? Like when the lights go on and he's facing a real defense again in in action, um, what does that look like? How does he look? What how does the rest of this team look like? How does it respond to him? There's a lot of talk right now across the board from these guys about Brown and just sort of the vibe that he gives off. And uh, it's probably going to get spun as him being a better leader than Kamakord. And I don't know if that's yeah. the right way to look at it. I think it's more just that these guys have two different personalities. And the personality that Brown has does connect with guys in a different way. You're already just seeing some evidence of that in the, the things that get out there on social media. And but the, but also what they're saying. I think, you know, it, it, no one has said uh that <laughs> that Brown should have been the starter just because he has this better this different personality. I think it's more that it's just guys acknowledging that yeah, like there this is different. It's a different vibe that we're getting from him and uh, he then has to go out and put the quarterback play with that to make that to make that uh, be a 
a, a reason why he's the quarterback of the future. You know what I mean? Like, I think that box was maybe always in his advantage a little bit over McCord. Um, just just being the personable guy he is and the the way he's sort of loose and connects with guys, I think was always an advantage for him. But the quarterback stuff wasn't. I mean, McCord was the the tighter quarterback, like the better quarterback. I meant tighter in terms of just like uh, reliability. Like he beat him out on that. So that's where Brown has to show that he's made the most strides going into Friday. I'm on the look. I think part of the reason I'm on the lookout for the Cardinal Tail breakout game, and you, you touched on it. Devin Brown has spent most of his season playing with Carnell Tate and the twos and probably Brandon Ennis as well. And we saw how that translated once they were starters for CJ Stroud and Jackson Smith, the Jigba and how that immediately was like, once it took off, it never really slowed down. And I am on the lookout for that being the case. Now that doesn't mean Emeka Book is not going to be used. He's clearly going to be used. He's the number one option now. So it's, it's, one, I'm interested to see how they line guys up because, yes, Emeka Buka has been the starting slot, but that was in a world where your top three the last two years, especially once Jackson went down, were him, Marvin, and, and Julian. But this is a guy who was repping at the Z spot going into 2022 a lot of the time, Nathan. And being that guy, we thought could be everybody's backup. He can just kind of play everywhere. So I do wonder if Carnell Tate is clearly the X and – then maybe after him, it's like wherever Emeka Ibuka lines up, that might be where, you know, Jaden Ballard and Brandon is. And we can get more to that on the offensive part when we do the game preview. Part. But I am on the lookout for just because Devin Brown has already built a connection with Carnell Tate because most of his reps since basically the Western Kentucky week when Kyle McCord became the official starting quarterback have been with Carnell Tate in that second year. And I wonder if that translates to the second level. But I, I think you're, the other stuff, the charismatic approach that Devin Brown has and I, on social media they revealed that he gave out some JBL headphones to everybody I, I I'm with you I hope that doesn't get spun as just like that's something that Kyle McCord wouldn't have done because I'm pretty sure if Kyle McCord were still at Ohio State he would have done something similar we saw CJ Stroud do that back when he had the express in 2022 he's just doing quarterback stuff but to your point Devin Brown just probably has a more charismatic personality where it's a little easier to stick with guys let's transition off of that because we went from Jim Knowles also talked for about 30 minutes he talked about Missouri and probably everything else under the sun what are some of the more prominent things that Jim Knowles had to say on Tuesday when he was talking in Dallas um I can't remember if we mentioned this but I, I wanted to get to to where Eichenberg stood he said Eichenberg's situation is up in the air um because he did say he was very quick you know said he doesn't expect any opt-outs. But then I wanted to follow up with Eichenberg because I never thought that with Tommy that it was necessarily an opt-out situation. It was always what I was saying before about the the health of that elbow, arm, whatever it is that he's dealing with. So that's something for us to keep an eye on this week. It does change things personnel-wise for them. Uh, you know, Cody Simon can just step in and be the middle linebacker, but it might be the kind of thing that opens up a, a, a role for, for somebody else. And... Uh, at least an opportunity, a partial role for somebody else. And one of the guys I wanted to make sure I asked Knowles about today was CJ Hicks, because very famously he told us back in May or whatever, like, oh, he's going to be unleashed this year. And uh, I started to ask that question. He just got this big smile on his face. And then uh, I was like, well, you, you've only got one game left. Like, <laughs> this is it. This is like, you can only have one more game left to unleash him. And he's like, yeah, and like, definitely – doesn't sound like it's going to 
necessarily happen in this game, but he did say some interesting things about CJ and where things are going with him. And and the other thing I had to clarify with him, because he did at one point talk about how the linebackers were looking and he threw Arvell Reese in that conversation. So I went up and clarified with him that Arvell Reese is playing linebacker again right now. Right now is, I think, the important word. And when you look at the balance of the roster, they probably need him at linebacker more than they need him at defensive end. Certainly right now, and probably even maybe into next year. But we'll see how that develops. But he was talking about Hicks and Reese and Mitchell Melton as these guys who, you know, he calls them combo players. And the issue is they don't really have a place in the defense for combo players right now. Um, they didn't use the Jack much this year. And he was asked about that again today and basically said that like, Hey, the four down line thing was working. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it. The thing is, if all these guys come back, the same thing's going to be true next year. Now he did mention that CJ Hicks was getting opportunities at other places. And I asked him about that later and he clarified that that wasn't so much part of their base defense that he was getting used in other places, but when they want to get a look at the Missouri offense, when they want to look at ways to attack that, or no, when they want to go against, when they want their own offense to go against what they think Missouri might bring on defense, that's when they sometimes put guys like him down at rush end. And he was saying that that has looked really impressive, like getting a look at him coming off the edge. So uh, I don't know that uh, we're going to get any answers off of CJ Hicks's future from the Cotton Bowl. This is something that's going to linger into the spring. But at the same time, there seems to be this acknowledgement that he's too good not to play somewhere. I was trying, I was asking Steel Chambers about it later, and he was talking about like multiple guys that way, but especially Hicks, that, you know, there's, you've got to find a place to play him. Like the, the talent is obvious. And I think Ohio State has to figure that out because if you're not going to make him a will linebacker, if you're going to move him off of that, but you're also not going to make him like a full-time defensive end because I don't if, – is, is he ready for that size-wise? I don't know. And they're going to have a lot of defensive linemen back next year. They could have their top four defensive ends back from this past year. And is C.J. Hicks better than any of them already? I, I don't know. It just seems like a guy – who it's a big mystery. It's not a mystery how talented he is. It just seems to be this mystery of how do you get him on the field and best utilize him? And it's a mystery that's still going to be hanging there when they leave Dallas. Jim Knowles basically, because you texted this out to 614-350-315. When I'm reading it, I'm saying, I'm hearing this. Oh, so you have three dudes on your roster right now who you're ready to put out there as Jacks in 2024. You're just not sure if you actually got room to play a Jack in 2024 because you might get all these defensive linemen back. And are you really going to take one of Larry Johnson's guys off the field when that was one of your better units last year and you have so much depth there? So I think that's where they're at. I think they have the, the recruited to the Jack. They've got a five-star kid who probably, to your point, Nathan, you're saying he's is he going to be a little linebacker or is he going to be an edge, but he's not that big to be an edge. He's a three, four outside linebacker, which is what the Jack essentially is. When you dumb it down to its simplest terms, it's just Larry Johnson has so much defensive line depth and you got to play it. Cause it's a bunch of fi- talented five-star top 50 recruits in that room as well. So what does that mean for CJ Hicks? I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it just means he's a will linebacker in 2024 because you are losing still Chambers and Cody Simon's coming back and you think Tommy Eichenberg is gone. And so those are probably your two-star linebackers unless you explore something in the portal. But Nathan, I just think that 
they've got jacks. They just are trying to figure out how to play them. And you're three years into this thing. I, I I don't know if it's any. I don't know if I can simplify it any more than that. You know, and I asked about the portal too, and he he definitely said he doesn't think they need to add people in the portal, and that mm-hmm. becomes more true if you start to think about people like Arvell Reese still being a linebacker. Do they look at Mitchell Melton again as a linebacker of some fashion? Like I don't know. Um, they're, they're guys who have some versatility. It, it, the the CJ Hicks thing is the one that I think worries people the most. Just the idea that you'll be getting to your third year and you don't know how to use him yet. You feel like he has to be on the field, but where does he go? And, you know, mm-hmm. people have seen this happen with Baron Browning. They've seen it happen with other guys in the past. And, this defensive staff seemed less susceptible to that. They have put guys up there as soon as they've been ready to play. And Hicks, it it definitely makes you think that something is lacking there in linebacker essentials, such that they just don't use him there as much, or that they think that the, the bed, the higher ceiling for him is somewhere else. But if Tumaloa and Sawyer both come back and you've still got Kenyatta Jackson and you've still got Caden Curry and Mitchell Melton is hanging around coming back from his injury, then where where is he fitting in? Where is C.J. Hicks fitting in on your defensive line? Um, if you're not going to actually build that jack package out and make it a regular thing, and by the way, if you're doing that, it means you're taking off one of these guys who's putting off the NFL to come back and be a starting defensive end next year and play a lot of snaps and enhance his own NFL future. It's just a, it's just a weird question that is hanging out there. And, and Knowles seemed to, in, in the same way that last year we came out of the season and he seemed like very committed to figuring out how to solve the secondary. And then they kind of did a part of that was just getting the right guys, but part of that was him philosophically um, that now one of the things he's committed to is finding out how he can unleash Hicks because he I, he keeps using that term. He said, like, he, he is a guy that's going to have to mm-hmm. be unleashed and, like, let him get out and, like, roam around and make plays. And I guess for some reason they're, they're, they hesitate saying that that could be Will Linebacker. It still sounds to me like it could be Will Linebacker. But if mm-hmm. there's if you don't build out that whole package for the Jack um, – then I I don't do you really are you really taking someone you think is that talented and and keeping them to this very niche thing that you might only use every once in a while? I mean, they use the Jack less this year than they did uh, his first year when when Jack Sawyer was running it. So I just th- this is one of the things that we're going to talk a lot about on a podcast like this during bowl week because so much of a non playoff bowl is looking ahead to next year and they know yeah. they're losing two starting linebackers. They know they lost Reed Carrico to the portal. So everybody in that linebacker room, like it, it starts to crystallize who is left, but it, I don't think this, this is still going to be a very similar conversation that we're having when mid March rolls around or early March and they start talking about spring practice again. Andrew, this is, I, I th- I'm, I think this is something where Jim Knowles and Larry Johnson are going to have to have some conversations about how they want to approach 
certain things, right? Because it's to Nathan's point. I mean, if Jack Sawyer and JT Trimolo, I'll come back and Kenyatta Jackson and Caden Curry take a step. It's like, well, you've got four edge rushers that you can play. So like, why are you using this niche role? But we've seen this niche Jack position work for Jim Knowles in the past. And it seems like you've got a five-star dude who's a top 10 recruit in his recruiting class who might be ready to play for you. And Jim Knowles has never talked about CJ Hicks. Like the problem was he wasn't good enough to play or wasn't ready to play. It's always seemed like every time this conversation evolves, it's we got to figure out how to use him. It's like we got this guy who's good enough. It's just we don't know where to put him because we've also got all these other good players. Thus, it's a first-world problem of elite football programs is having a lot of good players. If I had to ask you, is C.J. Hicks on your most intriguing players heading into 2024 spring? Would you say yes or no? And if the answer is yes, where would he be in a top 10? If I asked you to list the top 10 most intriguing players heading into 2024, where is C.J. Hicks on that list? Well, he's up there. Uh, he's not like towards the top because I think quarterback is number one. I think that that's the uh, that's the layup of the century. Um, but he's I think he's there because the thing that has fascinated me about CJ Hicks and, and and obviously, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you know this. I joined the beat in late July. And one of the things you do when you join a beat is you go back and you read old stuff, old stories, listen to podcasts, do whatever. And I remember reading going into the year, I was like, who is this CJ Hicks guy? Because it sounds like this guy is going to play a big role this year. Because go back and look at the quotes from Knowles today and then go find quote. This is a homework assignment for everybody. Go find quotes from Knowles in spring ball, after spring ball, just after last season. Like there's all these quotes just kind of leading you down the line of this guy's upside is incredible. And this guy deserves to be on the field. He's done everything he can. He's making the progress that he needs to make. And there are all these kind of different check marks that he's saying out in public that you would think, okay, like this guy's going to play a lot. And you didn't see it a lot. So I'm curious to see just because when it's one thing to have a coach say it, it's another thing to have a couple of players say it, you know, like, like Nathan was saying, like this guy's, this guy's a dude, like you guys don't even know yet. Like this guy's really good and just kind of wait and see. I think that that is where, you know, that is where I'm I'm fascinated too, because how do you use him? How, like, do you want him? Like, it sounds like the, every time they've talked about him, it's like, do you want him freelancing a little bit? Like, do you want him to play out of scheme a little bit because he has that athleticism to make up for it? And because that's, you know, it, it's, I mean, it's kind of like making Lamar, and not to compare him to Lamar Jackson, but it's kind of like making Lamar Jackson be a drop back passer. It's just, that's not what these guys do. That's not the, that's not what you want guys that have crazy athleticism or crazy type of, you know, skills like CJ Hicks does. That's not what the the mold you want to put them in. You want to let them do what they do best. So, yeah, he he's in that top 10 for me just because I look at him and I see a guy that I'm just fascinated by his usage. I'm fascinated the ways that they use him, how they use him, when they use him. I just I, from everything that has been said for before I got on the beat up till now, I, I think you kind of have to look at him and say, all right, what's going on? When is it going to happen? So Nathan, anything else that Noel said that stuck out? Well, obviously he was going to get asked today about the situation with Duke where he was, you know, uh, reported to have been involved in the interview process to some extent. He would not like clarify today how much he was involved, like how far into that process it went. 
involving him. You know, he was a guy who has a history at Duke. I think that played a role here. Um, but a lot of the questions today were, you know, well, what is your long-term thinking? Are you, are you interested in being a head coach again? Cause that seemed to not necessarily be what you were interested in when you came here and almost to the point where that was part of the appeal for Ohio state was that this was a guy who they wouldn't have to think about replacing a year later. And, um, he tried to be a little bit diplomatic here. I think he can't say he's not interested in head coaching jobs because everything is a negotiation and he needs to have that option uh, to always have uh, to, you know, to, to negotiate with at Ohio state, right? You need to have some leverage. And if he keeps interviewing for those jobs, he gets to keep that leverage. But he also said that there are parts of, you know, when you're coming up, you're a young coach, you're thinking about, I'm going to be a head coach someday. And now at this stage of his career, now that he's done that also, it the things that he finds important are not necessarily the same thing. And he sees the value of being at a place like Ohio State where you are always in the mix to be one of the best teams in the country. You are resourced to be one of the best teams in the country. There's never a question as to whether or not you're going to have resources you need to compete. We'll set NIL and the, the consternation people have had about that aside for a second, but just in general terms, you're, you're going to have a, a huge budget and you're going to be able to recruit whoever you want. And he, he sees a real value in that, in that if you want to win a national championship, this is the place to try to do it. You know, if you go to a place like Duke, and he's not going to come out and say this, if you go to a place like Duke, you're trying to build a, something to where you get eight or nine wins, and that's the best season of your tenure, probably. And uh, it's also a more precarious thing. You could be there for three years, and if you only win uh, six or seven games after three years, it might be the end of your three years. So now you're, now you're back out looking for another defensive coordinator job and there's no guarantee one as good as Ohio state will be waiting for you. So I would expect him. It, I it would be surprised maybe if this is the last time we ever hear his name come up in relation to a job, especially, especially as Ohio state's defense continues to be strong if it does, because that's who people always make their short lists from. It's, oh, he was, you know, if Ole Miss needs a defensive, uh, needs a head coach someday, uh, and Jim Knowles is still at Ohio State, his name will probably come up because he was at Ole Miss at one point, coordinating the defense. And, like, it's just the natural progression of these things. Uh, but I, I would also came away from this thinking that it would have to be something more special than Duke, no offense to the Blue Devils, to lure him away from Ohio State at this stage of his career, probably. Maybe if they win a national championship, he would then look at something I, as an in-game thing. I don't know. But I do think that's something that he is really invested in chasing, and I think he sees the value of this being the kind of place where you are always on the cusp of that conversation as opposed to um, – most of the other programs in the country. There's very few programs. Uh, this is where he, as much as he always also wanted to one day be a head coach again, or or wanted to be it at some point, uh, this is also something that he made clear today. This is also a place that he strove to get to, like that he 
building his career, being the defensive coordinator, having success as a defensive coordinator was about climbing to be on a staff like this. And now he's here. And uh, they know that every year going forward, they're going to be in that 12-team playoff, most likely. Um, and especially right now, you're looking, as we just talked about, at a situation where um, this defense could be largely intact coming off of its best year in four years and with a chance to once again be the an integral part of why this team's in national championship contention. The decisions of a lot of these guys right after this game, one of which we already know the day for the Denzel Burke on January 10th, Ohio State could be coming back in 2024 with the best defense in the country on paper, at least, right? Even in, even in a situation where you're probably losing Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers and Josh Proctor, the rest of these starters could realistically be back and some depth pieces behind them in a way that uh, it's not a crazy thing to think that if so many of these guys come back coming into the season i'm not sure who had, who would have a better defense on paper and i'm saying that without looking at other defenses right now but they were one of the best defenses in the country this year and if you return not eight or nine of your starters then ideally you would probably think that that'll wrap up this tuesday pod that's Denzel Burke talk. That's Marvin Harrison Jr. Who's not practicing. He's there in a jersey, but he's not practicing. In fact, as Nathan told you, he was on a stationary bike for most of the day, just kind of walking around, hanging out the way we saw Chris Olave do. Now, he maybe did some drills. We don't know. Nathan says he was only in there for about 20, 25 minutes. So we don't know what all they did. But at least while they were in there, Marvin Harrison Jr. did not do very much. Get the text if you want to get that type of information as it's happening live and direct, 614-350-3315. That's defense. On Wednesday, we'll come back and we'll talk offense, which I'm pretty sure would be Brian Hartline since he's the offensive coordinator by title and paycheck, not necessarily in all his job descriptions, and there will be a set list of players for that. And like I said, look for these pods in the afternoon because we'll be potting after these practices and the media availabilities for this week as Ohio State prepares to play Missouri in the Cotton Bowl on Friday. So for Nathan Baird and for Andrew Gillis, I'm Stephen Means, and that was Buckeye Talk. Mm-hmm.